Shippers look to alternative ports. Retailers look to expand their carrier networks and more consolidation among logistics firms. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Softion. Softion delivers powerful warehouse management, warehouse execution, and distributed order management solutions delivered on time, on budget, and on results with the market's only track record of 100% deployment success. That's why logistics leaders, including KC Stores, the Duluth Trading Company, Do It Best, Saddle Creek Logistics, and many more are powered by Softion. Visit them at softion.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, ocean ports in Southern California are experiencing an increase in traffic resulting from the Suez Canal incident, as well as the huge spike of imports. But some shippers are looking at alternative ports to move their cargo. To explain what's happening, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. That's right, we have with us here today, uh, Mike Clagey. He's the Solutions Director at TOC Logistics International, which is an international logistics management and freight forwarding company based in Indianapolis. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, as David said uh, during our introduction here, um, I, I, I think people who have been observing the industry uh, have seen some of the unpredicted and challenging conditions lately. Uh, the, the Suez Canal blockage, of course, sent ripples really around the world, uh, not just in that immediate area. And the, uh, the COVID recovery uh, is, a, is a good thing, but it's also come with some growing pains uh, for the country and the world. Uh, we've, we've seen a lot of longer extended waiting times, ships waiting at anchor off ports uh, to, to get their uh, containers unloaded. Um, really some atypical uh, conditions. Uh, really, it looks like we're in for a whole busy summer of trying to work through that backlog right now. Uh, just how bad are conditions out there? Bad? Things are actually great if you're an ocean line. They've been waiting a decade for this and they're making every effort to capitalize on this perfect storm. But for everybody else, it's really bad, as in worst crisis any of us have seen and hopefully ever will see in our careers. It's really a catastrophe from both the pricing and the operational aspects. Uh, companies are warned to consider the risks of doing business overseas, but the fact is very few companies have factored anything like this into their financial or production planning. Let's look at Asia. Uh, we're in this nasty reinforcing cycle. If you find an empty and buy your way onto a vessel, that vessel is still sailing five to 15 days after the original schedule. It then slow steams across the Pacific because it knows that it's gonna sit anchored for a week or more at LA. By the time that vessel finally berths, we're dumping mega vessels full of containers into an already congested terminal plagued by understaffing. Then the land side issues begin with trucking and warehouse shortages in LA, your, if your cargo is going inland by rail, uh, good luck with that. More congestion for that last leg. Uh, the vessel eventually works its way back to Asia, and then it's even later than it was to start the whole process, and the whole cycle starts over. So with these delays and the vessels coming in later, the carriers are then forced to make structural blank sailings, not because they are trying to restrict capacity, 
but in order to try to get the strings back on schedule, those sal blank salines zap more capacity out of the market, and uh, that leads to all of the pricing effects we're seeing. The on-time percentage in March was only 14% on Trans-Pacific eastbound. So from a pricing perspective, this import boom has importers from small mom and pops up to the mega retailers in a, in a bidding war for space. The traditional power dynamics are flipped on their head. Even the huge importers are begging carriers for space. Sure, there's some cargo moving along term contracts that are paying lower rates, but we're seeing spot prices for ad hoc cargo surpassing $10,000 on a port to port basis. That's the real price to secure equipment and space. The container indices that you see out there don't take into account the premium surcharges the carriers are levying, nor the margins applied by master loaders who have the best access to space on short notice. We've got clients with thousands of containers a year who are struggling to secure space even with the top 10 global forwarders. They're coming to us for help and willing to pay huge premiums to get on the water because being on the water at any price is better than paying for air cargo or sitting in a warehouse at origin. When everyone's making those calculations, uh, and with every vessel and container already deployed globally, that price uh, is gonna continue to soar until the US thirst for consumer goods begins to wane. And a lot of people see this as an Asia issue, and with all the focus on Asia, it's easy to overlook the troubles on the Atlantic side. Europe's seeing the most volatility in a decade as well, and it's happening really fast over the last several weeks and couple of months things are changing really rapidly all it's really all the same factors uh, that are hitting home on the eu north america trade is what's happening on the on the pacific lack of empties vessels are full and overbooked uh, record us import demand etc carriers have started employing all the same tactics that have been successful in asia the massive gris peak season surcharges allocation controls uh, and it's really leading to a similar highest bid wins environment. Uh, this was exacerbated tremendously with the Suez situation because you had a complete halt of inflow of empties to Europe for two to three weeks. They're flowing again now, but many inland depots uh, beyond the base ports uh, are, don't have adequate stock of containers. That's requiring truck and transloads at the port and all sorts of different routings coming out of Europe. Uh, the carriers are firmly managing allocation out of Europe in a way they've never done before, not allowing changes in strings and routings. Uh, it's requiring a lot of creativity to keep the goods flowing on whatever routing or vessel that equipment and space can be secured. The risk of not using these alternate routings uh, is that you end up with a cargo backlog building at the suppliers facilities. Same as I said on Pacific, on the water is better than not. So going forward, now that the carriers have learned to manage the capacity to keep rates high, even once the demand eases, we're unlikely to see things go back to the old power dynamics. Uh, carriers will just restrict the capacity through blank salines and limited strings to keep the supply and demand in their favor. Yeah, really striking. Some of those numbers, uh, I mean, you know, sailing five to 15 days late, 14% on time uh, percentage, that just really doesn't work with just with lean supply chains and with just-in-time practices. Uh, looking for solutions, um, I, I understand that some of those shippers uh, dealing with some of those really tough uh, challenges that you described, 
are redirecting uh, their their shipments and uh, and overflowing their freight into uh, some of the somewhat lesser used U.S. ports, um, like the eastern part of the U.S. Um, can you give some examples and uh, and see uh, tell us how effective that is? Sure. So a lot of importers that traditionally use LA are looking at options on the East Coast or the Gulf Coast or even Canada or Mexico. And depending on your final destination, there are a lot of good alternatives to LA on paper. And in some cases, those can be used. But with a lot of these options, there's huge constraints. Houston and Savannah are already running at record levels now. So everyone who typically uses those ports also have, are dealing with the same import boom and have increased volume so that, that there may not be space left for new cargo to these ports. Uh, also, the vessels are restricted to Panama Canal size limits, uh, especially on Houston, there's only three vessel strings that are servicing it from Asia and only from a few major base ports. You don't have the same number of direct calls going into Houston uh, as you do uh, going into the West Coast. Uh, and those strings are dominated by the mega importers. So when they're shipping, uh, there's very little space left for everyone else. So it can be a good option, but we're finding that space is even harder to find on the East Coast and Gulf Coast than, than it is on the West Coast. Uh, it's gotten so bad that we're seeing some importers begin to use Los Angeles even when their natural flow would be the Gulf or the East Coast. They're doing that despite the congestion in LA because that's the only port where the space can be secured. So in effect, we're actually seeing LA used as an alternative to the Gulf and East Coast, which is completely the opposite of the premise of your question. So in a lot of ways, everyone's just getting space wherever they can find it. Wow. And uh, I, I mean, as you said, uh, you know, with ships arriving at, at LA or other ports um, where there's already a backload and then those, you know, massive container ships coming in with new loads and and existing uh, users already, uh, you know, tapping up uh, the capacities of uh, Savannah or Houston. Uh, but we all know that, you know, it, it's not just about that the maritime flow because those containers have to go somewhere. Um, how, how's that shift of freight, uh, you know, having domino effects on, on other modes of transport? I mean, that the all the freight has to come onto trucks, has to go onto rail uh, to, to get out of those ports, right? Absolutely. And we can often see what the next domestic flashpoint is going to be based on what's happening on the ocean. Uh, to overgeneralize it, every coast is hugely deficit in trucking and rail capacity. Rail is a harder problem to solve because of the fixed assets. Trucking is more, solved more easily because truckers are mobile and will chase the highest profits. So when we see spikes in certain ports, they seem to level off after a week or two as the market responds and more drivers enter that area. That said, the recovery usually means a higher plateau than before and also means generally rising rates nationwide because those drivers are coming from somewhere. Uh, we're also starting to see delays and shortages on the LTL sector, which is not something that has typically happened in the past. Uh, that goes to show the depth of the demand boom and also the driver and supply trucking supply crisis. Yeah, interesting. And, and, and that's some, some issues that we've been covering for a long time. And we were, uh, you know, covering, um, you know, stories very frequently uh, before pandemic ever came along about um, labor shortages, about truck driver shortages, some of those constrictions um, in, that, that create uh, the capacity there. Um, 
you know, that looking at these, you know, high hurdles, um, what, what, what do they spell for the summer ahead? Um, we're in May now, um, but, you know, but before you know it, uh, people are going to be retailers building up uh, for peak season, as far away as that sounds. Um, you know, how, how soon will we be, we be able to chip away at this problem? I hesitate to even attempt predictions these days. They're almost guaranteed to sound silly in a couple of weeks, but <laughs> we'll give it a shot. So. Uh, based on the trajectory of ocean vessel load factors, what's happening in the spot market, we're looking at overloaded ports through at least August. If okay. demand fell off tomorrow, it would take that long just to work through the backlog. Of course, demand's probably not going to fall off tomorrow. We've got rest of the summer season and a lot of the summer merchandise hasn't come in yet because the importers can't get the space. So that's still happening. And then you've got back to school followed by the holiday season. So there's a realistic possibility that things stay at a similar elevated pace all the way through China New Year 2022. Wow. Uh, keep in mind, February to April are usually the slow season on ocean. And we're just starting to ramp up at this point in the end of May. And if we look at what's happened over the last three months, it's not exactly been slow. So barring any major shifts in uh, Americans' spending habits, this is going to continue for some time. Uh, they can't build vessels overnight. Uh, they're building containers as fast as they can, but that's only half of the problem. Uh, so it, I believe it's going to continue until we have uh, Americans shifting their spending to services, travel, dining, et cetera, instead of on goods. So that really is the driving factor here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, boy, so many changes that we're seeing uh, play out here during the recovery. Uh, Mike, we really appreciate your, your being uh, here with us on the uh, podcast today and uh, describing what some of the conditions on the ground are out there. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we, we've had our guest today was uh, Mike Clagey, uh, Solutions Director at TOC Logistics International. Uh, back to you, Dave. Thank you, Mike and Ben. Now let's take a look at the other supply chain news from the week. We move from the ocean to the land. And Victoria, you reported this week how retailers are expanding the number of carriers that they use in an effort to achieve better on-time performance. What did you find? Exactly, Dave. Yeah. So retailers are accelerating their last mile investments and adding delivery partners, as you say, to meet higher customer expectations. Um, this is something we've been porting, reporting on quite a bit, especially over the pandemic um, this past year. But uh, we saw some data on it um, from a Texas-based last mile technology firm called Convey uh, this week. Um, what they did was they surveyed 600 retail decision makers and they analyzed their own performance and market share data for the big carriers, FedEx, UPS, the Postal Service, and also regional carriers to really um, essentially assess recent and future last mile delivery trends. And what they found um, was quite a bit, but the, the main points were that the majority of retailers, almost 60%, um, have expanded their carrier network over the past year. Um, and even more, um, uh, exceeding 80%, were, are focused on investing in what they call more complex last mile initiatives over the next 12 months. Um, those initiatives include things like adding carriers, but also implementing a lot of the practices we've heard a lot about in the, <clears throat> over the last year, 
especially um, buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup, ship from store, pick up lockers. It also includes, you know, other strategies like place, generally placing merchandise in closer proximity to shoppers, forward stocking, dark stores, and also um, even more creative solutions like offering discounts on slower delivery methods or hosting things like e-commerce sales events where you um, that are uh, store pickup only. So essentially what they found is that retailers are, retailers are really investing in, as I say, these more creative solutions to service the last mile, of which again is something we've seen accelerate certainly since the pandemic uh, began. The reasons behind all this, according to retailers, are pretty simple. Uh, they want to meet customer demand for faster delivery. They also are looking for ways to sort of balance their delivery costs with customer expectations. And it's also a way to offer innovative delivery options to, to stay competitive in this market that we find ourselves in. There were a couple of other interesting points from the survey. Um, their analysis, Conveys analysis, showed that on-time performance, as you mentioned at the top, for package delivery um, has stabilized since the start of the pandemic last year. Um, they analyzed, Convey analyzed its shipment data for April, which it says includes tens of millions of packages shipped from more than 500,000 locations across North America. And they found that 82% um, of parcel shipments were delivered on time in April, and that's up from 77% uh, the same month uh, last year. So, uh, so that was some of the, the basic data that they had from their, uh, their analysis. Yeah, it's good to see that that on-time performance is increasing. Did they give mm -hmm. a reason for those improvements? Yeah, they did. They said it's most likely because um, volume-related network stress has really decreased. We don't see the panic buying we saw, you know, this time last year and even through the summer. And brick-and-mortar stores reopening has really helped, too, so there's less stress on just the um, the e-commerce side of the equation. But they also, you know, pointed out that on-time performance hasn't quite caught up to where it was, you know, uh, two years ago. Uh, April 2019, they showed an 89% on-time performance. Uh, rate. Um, and they said that stems from performance issues, at least that they saw in April from uh, at FedEx, uh, which maintains the largest share of the market according to their data. But um, FedEx performed lower than other carriers uh, this past April. They had a 71% on-time performance rate compared to 88% for UPS and 90% for the Postal Service, um, with most of um, uh, the company's um, most inexpensive service levels hit hardest. This is something um, Convey said it'll continue to watch, especially because FedEx recently announced a large number of open positions in its ground service division. And they wanna see if those new hires uh, maybe have a positive effect on the on-time performance. Um, so some interesting numbers on where the industry is with the last mile and uh, how performance is going. Yeah, well, those are trends we will definitely continue to track. Thank you. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about another growing trend, and that is private equity investors buying up multiple logistics firms. Can you tell us why they're making these acquisitions? Uh, yeah, of course, Dave. Uh, and, and this really ties in to what Victoria was just talking about with some of that sky-high retail demand, uh, as well as what our guest was speaking of in terms of that unending U.S. thirst for consumer goods. Uh, so when investors see that kind of, you know, really hot demand, um, it, it's a business opportunity. So in response, we've been seeing a period of consolidation in the logistics technology side as investors uh, seek to combine a handful of smaller vendors and they build sort of a one-stop shop for supply chain services. Um, some experts think that that growth trend in e-commerce will eventually slow down as we continue to emerge from the pandemic. Um, but even if it slowed, it would still be growing uh, at, at rates that were above uh, previous forecasts. 
So to take advantage of those kind of mega trends, um, in the first half of this week, we learned that there's a barcoding and data collection provider called Peak RiseX that our readers might be familiar with. Uh, they bought up another auto ID provider called Barcode Direct. Uh, that wouldn't be too surprising on its own, but Peak RiseX owner is a financial firm, a private equity group called Soul Source Capital. And this deal marked its eighth purchase of companies providing automatic identification scanning tools since 2020. Uh, other de deals uh, on that list of eight uh, included companies like Optical Fusion and Innovity. Uh, so when they merged them together, uh, the type of applications for the combined company uh, will be uh, auto identification, as I said, scanning jobs uh, that are performed by warehouse workers, freight truck drivers, uh, in-store associates, package delivery. So all the jobs that really um, make the retail demand work on time. Well, that really is a lot of acquisition activity in the past year. Is that trend happening just in the barcode scanning area? Uh, no, it's much more widespread than that. Um, of, of course, the scanning is a critical step, um, you know, within the retail store, within the warehouse. Uh, but, you know, freight has to move as well. Um, and in fact, just yesterday, we heard that another private equity group called Excel KKR said that it has uh, acquired a fleet management software provider uh, called GPS Insight. And likewise, it will merge it with two other transportation tech firms that it already owns. Um, likewise, Excel KKR said it's uh, trying to create what it calls a single point solution uh, for the medium duty trucking sector. That's class three vehicles to class six vehicles. Uh, class eight, of course, is the uh, tractor trailers that we see on the highway. So uh, class three to six is more of the uh, delivery, uh, home delivery and store delivery. So the new owner is going to merge GPS Insight with a company called Insight Mobile Data and another one called Rhino Fleet Tracking. Um, typically, they serve sectors like uh, garbage trucks, construction trade, food and beverage distribution. Uh, so together, when they're uh, combined their uh, capabilities, the three firms can sell services like GPS tracking for those vehicles, uh, fleet util utilization, scheduling, dispatching, driver safety. Uh, but even more broadly, again, this acquisition is just Excel KKR's latest deal. Um, there were five other deals in 2020. Uh, they bought uh, some other big names that our readers have heard of, uh, like the logistics connectivity provider True Commerce, uh, a yard management software uh, vendor Pink Solutions, uh, rail industry software uh, Railcar RX, and a TMS software vendor Shipper Connect and Ship Express. So really, a whole lot of uh, investments are going on and consolidation happening um, as. Uh, financial folks really see opportunity in the continuing boom here. Yeah, that really does seem to be a trend in those acquisitions, and we'll see how they will end up impacting the market. Thanks, Ben. Of course, we'll be on it. And we encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Always glad to, Dave. Yes, you're welcome. And again, our thanks to Mike Clagey of TOC Logistics International for being our guest today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback and it really does help people to find us. The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. 
And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Softion. Softion helps companies orchestrate order fulfillment at the network level with distributed order management and at the DC level with Softion WMS Plus warehouse execution system. Meet customer demand at the least possible operating cost with Softion Solutions. Learn how at Softion.com. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will discuss how better visibility in the warehouse can help distributors deal with product shortages and transportation backlogs. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.